0: Romans chapter eight. Romans eight. Let's do the uh, smart thing. Have a quick word of prayer before we get going. Heavenly Father, just thankful to see everybody here this morning, and just for those that couldn't make it due to sickness or work or what have you, Lord, I prayed bless them and just your hand be upon them. And also just for everything going in the back, going on in the back right now with the kids, with the program practice and Sunday school, ask your hand of blessing to be upon that as well too. We just stop and thank you in your name. Amen. All righty, Romans eight here. Now, we've been going at a fairly quick pace here through Romans, doing probably about a chapter a week here in chapter 6 and chapter 7. When we got to Romans 8, we really slowed down. If you remember correctly, last week we said that Romans 8 is a transitional chapter in the book of Romans. The first seven chapters in the book of Romans deal with this progression of what the gospel is, how we're all sinners, how we all need Jesus, and it's through Christ that we can die to sin. We can die to those areas and problems that bring us down and those uh, areas of life that we still struggle with. On Romans 8, the first nine verses kind of sum up that teaching point. And then it kind of starts changing here a little bit. Romans 9, 10, and 11 deal with Israel, and it deals with us and our role and our relationship with Christ compared to Israel. And then from Romans 12 on, it deals with practical application of, now, how do we apply all this stuff we've learned? So Romans 8 is this transitional chapter here in the book of Romans. Now, with that being said... Once again, verses 1 through 9 of Romans 8 finished up really our chapters uh, 1 through 7. And what we have here today from verse 9 to verse 17 is we're introduced to the Holy Spirit and His role in dealing with dying to flesh and His role here on how to live the Christian life, I should say. Now, we're going to get into more of the Holy Spirit here in a couple of weeks. We're going to get into praying in the Spirit. And then later on in the book of Romans, you get into the gifts of the Spirit. But really, this lesson today is kind of an introduction to who the Holy Spirit is and what His role is and how we live our life. I think this is kind of interesting because in the Christmas season, we throw around this word a lot, Emmanuel. We sing songs that have Emmanuel in it. You'll get Christmas cards that have Emmanuel in it. One of the most famous verses when it comes to Christmas is Isaiah 7.14 about how his name shall be called Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us or God in us. That is an amazing concept when you stop and think about it, that God chooses to live in you. That's mind-blowing. And for us, we kind of take it for granted. Now, when that verse was given back in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, that was unheard of. Back in the Old Testament, you had access, you had contact with God one day a year. Now, you shouldn't even say you. It was the high priest. According to Leviticus 16, on the day of atonement, the high priest got to go into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's presence dwelled on earth. He got to go into that one day out of the year, and only one person, he represented the entire nation of Israel. That was the contact that they had with God in the Old Testament. One man, one day out of the year, into the Holy of Holies for just that little bit of time. For God to live in us now, like I said, that's mind-boggling. So, with that being said, it says now in the book of Hebrews that we can boldly, Approach the throne of God you realize what that means that we can boldly go to God the creator of the universe we don't have to wait for the high priest to go represent us we don't have to wait for the day of atonement anytime you want at any time of the day you can boldly approach God with your concerns with your problems and he's right there for you that's access to God it reminds me of the picture the very iconic picture I remember seeing one time of where uh, President Kennedy was sitting at his desk working I remember his son sitting underneath the desk has access his son wasn't thinking that Oh, my dad's president my son the son was thinking that's my dad's office that's where he works I'm gonna go see my dad now if you and I would try to go sit under the president's desk it wouldn't go as good it wouldn't be as iconic picture there'd be mace and handcuffs but for him that's his dad so when I approach God I'm approaching my father it's totally different once again, the son wasn't looking at approaching the president. He was just going to his dad. I don't stop here and I think, oh my goodness, the, the, the creator of the universe, um, um, you know, the, the person that died on the cross of my sins, okay, I've got to make sure all my words are right. No, I'm approaching my father. I look at it as, you know what, he's sitting there and I just want to go sit up on my dad's knee. Access. We have that. Emmanuel, God is with us. We can boldly go to the throne of God. Now, God promised this. I should say Jesus promised this in John 14. He says, the Holy Spirit will be with you and the Holy Spirit will be in you. you. ever stop and think about that? The Holy Spirit, God Himself, is with you, and the Holy Spirit, God Himself, is in you. That's what we're going to talk about. Look at Romans 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. In You he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through a spirit who dwells in you now We've said this numerous times before God does not ramble So in a span of three verses if he says that phrase that he dwells in you three times He's trying to make a point his point is that God dwells in you even he goes one step further Paul writes in first Corinthians chapter 6 that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit God just doesn't dwell in you Your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. This is where God has chosen to set up residence. This is where God has chosen to sit and be with us. And so therefore, it hopefully leads us to live a life worthy of him. Because anywhere you go, God is with you. Now that's comforting and scary at the exact same time. I was talking recently to the boys, and we were talking about this idea of God living in us and the Spirit living in us. Judah, our second one, asked, where does he live? he lives in our heart." So Judah looked down in his heart, you know, trying to figure this out. Judah thought that was kind of neat. Kenan number three says, God lives in us. I said, yeah, and he said, scary. Now, (laughs) stop and think about that for a moment. It's all in your perspective, right? If you're having a bad day at work, if you're having a tough diagnosis, if you're struggling with pain, God lives inside of you. Doesn't that encourage you? does not uplift you that no matter where you go, no matter what's going on, the presence of God is in you and with you, and God himself is with you through whatever trial or tribulation you're facing. Okay, now, flip side, no one's around. So you can finally watch that show you wanted to watch. You can finally look at that thing online you want to think about. That person that you were talking to turned around and walked away, so you can finally mutter those things under your breath that you want to say. You can finally think those thoughts, because no one's around. God's with you. See, that's when it becomes a little scary. It's either comforting or scary. I guess we shouldn't use the word scary. The proper word is it's convicting. And that's the presence of God. The presence of God either comforts you during your difficult times or the presence of God convicts you when you're doing things you shouldn't do. That's what it means to have the presence of God dwelling in you. And because of that, that hopefully encourages us to live a life worthy of him and to live a life for him. Wherever I go, whatever I do... God is with me, comforting and convicting at the same time. Paul wrote in Second Corinthians chapter six. You don't need to turn there. He says, "Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Baal, which is a false god? Or what part is a believer with an unbeliever?" Now we use that verse a lot when it comes to relationships and marriage. You don't want a believer marrying a non-believer, etc. You don't want to date a non-believer, not because we're better than them, or not because we are trying to be holier than thou. But because, very simply put, if you're a believer, your focus is on Jesus Christ. And if that person's a non-believer, well, their focus isn't on Jesus Christ. As I like to tell people, is if you're a Christian, your father is God. A non-believer, the Bible makes it clear, your father is the devil. So therefore, if you have a believer and a non-believer get together and get married as a believer, it means my in-laws are the devil. It's not a good relationship. So that's why God says, have that apart. But he goes one step further. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? That's us. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Emmanuel, God with us. So when you have that mindset that God is with us, that is a comforting thought. But at the same time, that's convicting. I hope that spurs you on to make better life choices and to make better godly choices because God is always with us. This depends on how you want to look at it. So that's the first point. The Spirit dwells in us. Now why does the Spirit dwell in us? Well, according to verse 9, Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The reason the Spirit dwells in us is the Spirit is a sign of salvation. The Holy Spirit living inside of you shows that you're saved. The Holy Spirit doesn't live inside non-believers. God goes one step further. He says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that the Spirit is a guarantee. That word literally means down payment. And so by having the Holy Spirit live inside of you, that's a down payment for eternal salvation in heaven. You're saved, and you don't get to go to heaven yet. But God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's my down payment to say that you're mine, and I have you for all of eternity. It's a pretty cool down payment. Now, before you think that that sounds too easy because, you know, God is God, what's the big deal? Well, how did he buy us? According to those passages, God bought us with his blood. That down payment to have the Holy Spirit live inside of us costs life of jesus that was a pretty expensive down payment but god loved you and loved me so much that the blood of christ was shed for our sins to give us that down payment to now know we have salvation goes one step further in ephesians 1 verse 13 says the holy spirit is a seal and that word seal carries numerous meanings here that word means to mark to confirm security so the holy spirit living inside of you is a mark of ownership god says i'm marking you You are mine. He confirms, you are mine. Why? Because only believers get the Holy Spirit. And lastly, it's security. Aren't you thankful that no matter what you're going through, God is always with you? When you have that rough day tomorrow at work and you really need someone to talk to and there's no one to talk to, you have God right there with you. Security. When you're all alone and you get that rough news, that tough news, and you feel like I have nobody that understands to get me through this pain, God's always with you. What a comforting thought absolutely comforting thought that's one of the things that we try to ingrain into the boys i've joked with you guys about this before i'll go up to one of the boys and says who loves you and they will say daddy i said who loves you more daddy or mommy and i've trained them to say daddy i just i just do one of the things though i do is this i said who loves you more than daddy And they'll say god because i want them to know that no matter how much i love them there's a heavenly father that loves them more because i'm not always going to be there we had a situation last night it was about 5 45 in the morning or something like that late and Start knocking on his door. That's Leighton's sign that he wants something. So, Layden starts knocking on his door. It's about 5.45. I get up, I'm gonna go take care of him. Don says, let him go. Let him cry out and see what happens. About one minute later, she says, go get him. So, I guess she'd, she wanted to go back to sleep. So, I went to go get him and I opened the door and I said, buddy, what's wrong? He goes, Daddy's scared. That's what he said. He goes, Daddy's scared. Now, Layden, I don't know what was going on the night before. He got up at 3 because he heard a train. And I don't know if he was excited that he heard the train because he just kept talking about Choo Choo or if he was scared of the train. I don't know. I took a, tucked him back in bed and I said, "Listen. I said, "Daddy is right outside the door." I said, "But God is with you." And I said, "We're going to pray. we're just going to pray and get snuggled in here and get back to sleep." And one of the first verses we taught the boys was Matthew 10:31, Jesus said, "Don't be afraid." I said, "God is always with you, and Daddy's outside the door." I tucked him in, prayed with him, went back to sleep. That's the type of comfort I think the Lord gives us. He says, listen, we all get scared. We all do. Now as big adults, we don't like to admit it. God knows our heart. Some of you right here today, you're freaking out about something. You are. It's a work situation. It's a relationship situation. It's a health situation. You're scared. Now, you're not going to let us know. God knows. And he wants to take us and comfort us and help us, if you will, tuck you back in, give you a kiss on the head and say, it's okay, I'm right here. That's the presence of God. That is the spirit being a sign of salvation inside of you, that he's a guarantee that God dwells in us for salvation, but he also is a seal that marks us, confirms, and it's a security that God is always with you no matter what's going to happen in life. What a blessing that is. What's the next thing that the Spirit does for us? Verse 10. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You have life because of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 6, the Spirit gives life. Paul repeated that in 2 Corinthians 3, that the Spirit gives life. But what's that mean that the Spirit gives life? Well, until you're saved, you're dead. You don't know you're dead because you think you're alive. I mean, you're walking around, you're having fun, you're doing stuff, you feel life. It's not until you get born again in Christ that you really understand what life is. You don't get it. I got saved when I was 16. Yeah, I made some stupid choices before then, but I didn't get myself into a whole lot of trouble. But people that I got saved later on in life, 30s, 40s, 50s, they get saved, and they realize that the life they thought was living, boy... When you get born again and saved in Christ, that's living, that's life. So the Spirit gives life. And once you taste the fruit of God, the fruit of Christ, you realize what life really is. My goodness, how many years did we waste being the walking dead, not having that relationship with Jesus? I remember years ago there was a guy that we got hooked up with. This guy struggled. He struggled with alcohol. He struggled with drugs. He struggled with a lot of issues, and it was really hard for him to, to let go of it. really hard for him to let go of it. I can remember that we started counseling him, and I'd get the phone calls late at night, and he'd be like, Pastor, I'm drunk. He didn't know what else to do. And so we'd counseled him. We'd spend time with him. Finally, it just all started to click. It just clicked. He finally got it, and he started making great decisions, great choices in life, and started moving forward in his walking relationship with Jesus. And I remember years ago, we had softball games that we used to do in the summer, and so we said, hey, just hang out with us here after church. Eat lunch with us, and then you know what? We'll take you to the softball game. We'll just have a great afternoon of fun and fellowship, etc. So he did that. We got pizza. We came back here. We ate at the church. We headed up to Hamler, had the softball game, and he had a great time. And I remember him distinctly saying after the softball game, I remember him coming up saying, I never thought I could have this much fun sober. I remember him saying that. And I thought, isn't that cool? He really started to realize what life is. He started to realize what it means when the Spirit gives There is something more than just the deadness we have without God. And to be quite honest, unless you're born again and saved, you don't understand what I'm saying. Because once you taste it, you realize what life is. And that's what the Spirit does. He gives us life. Verse 11 sums this all up. It tells us that the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. God lives in us. And also that Spirit that raised Christ from the dead also gives us life to raise us from our spiritual death as well. So the first two points is that God dwells in us. It's a sign of salvation. And the second one is the Spirit gives us life. Now how does this all happen? Verse, 13, excuse me, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the next point here is the Spirit is power. The Spirit gives us power. How does it give us power? We don't have to live according to the flesh anymore. That phrase, verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. Have you ever had that situation in life where you just felt like you had to do it? Not in a good way? Like you just can't say no to it? The temptation was so strong. The power was so strong that you, you just you didn't want to do it. You didn't want to say it. You didn't want to do that action. You just felt like you had to. Well, according to verses 12 and 13, the Spirit gives us a power to say no to the flesh. Now here's the problem. Some of you try to do it on your own. I hear it all the time. I can do this. I, I know my marriage is falling apart, but I, I can do this. I can fix this. I just need to try harder. You could fix your marriage. What's the role of God in it? Or you know what? I'm having a tough time at work. That's okay. I just need to buckle down more. I just need to try a little harder, put a little more effort into it, and everything will be okay. You don't have the power to do that. You're making yourself a debtor to the flesh. You don't have the power to fix the problems that are in your life. If you had the power to fix the problems in your life, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? The Spirit is the one that gives us power to make those good, godly choices. Jesus said in Acts 1.8 that the Spirit will come upon you when you will have power. And that word for power is the Greek word dunamis where we get our word dynamite. It's a dynamite. It's an explosive power that God gives us. And that word upon you, we'll get to that more later in the book of Romans of what it really means to have the Holy Spirit upon you, that baptism of the Spirit. But the Spirit is what gives us power to make these good godly choices. The flesh has no power. How often do we try to live in the flesh there is no power one of the best things you could do is realize you can't do it on your own the lord has to do it for you so god dwells in us and through that the spirit's a sign of salvation the spirit is life the spirit is what gives us power and here's the one that we probably know the most is verse 14 for as many are as led by the spirit of god these are the sons of god what's it mean to be led by the spirit that's what it's talking about verse 14 to be led by the spirit i remember when i first got saved i was so jealous when people used to say things like, led by the Spirit, I hear it all I heard all the time. The Spirit really just laid it on, the, on on my heart to pray for them. Or, you know what, I was, I was ta- talking to someone the other day, and the Spirit really led me just to share Christ with them. Or, you know, I, somebody came to my mind the other day, and the Spirit really just led me to contact them. And I remember when I first got saved, I thought, I want that. I, I don't have that. So I used to just make it up, because I wanted to be like everybody else. So I'd go up to people and say, the Lord really laid you on my heart. And I'd be like, oh, why? I don't know, but I just wanted to say it, because I want to be like everybody else. I didn't know I just, that's what everybody said. I wanted to be spirit-led, too. I wanted to have those thoughts and feelings and urges and nudges, and I wanted to, to, to do that. And then I realized that the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you're starting to realize that is Lord's leading and nudging. Ah, that is God saying to go do something. And the longer you spend in the Word, the more you start realizing, that's how I know when the Spirit's leading. You know, we train ourselves for years to not listen to God, is it convicts us. Then all of a sudden we get saved and we do want to listen to God. It takes a while to get used to. And so, the Lord wants us to listen, to be led, to hear what He has to say. And then when we hear what He has to say, then we can then obey and be obedient. What word do we use? Whatever word you want. I use these words. Hey, they were heavy on the heart. Hey, I have a real burden for you. Hey, I had to check in my spirit. One of the things I do is every Monday morning, I get out our our directory that we have, and we have a directory at at church that has has everybody's name in it. Even if they've only visited a couple times, I, I just have their name. I may not have a phone number, I may not have an address, but I have their name written down. And so every Monday, I literally go from A to Z over every person that's stepped foot in this church here as of late, and I say, okay, Lord, who do you want us to contact? Look, who's heavy on the heart? And so what I do is I have two little sticky notes. I have the sticky note that I know for sure this is what I need to do to contact this person. And then I have my other sticky note where I just write their name down because I thought there, there's something going on and I don't know what that is yet. So then as I go through it, I usually put a mark. Do I need to call this person? Do I need to text this person? Or Do I email this person? What do I need to do? And so I go through every name and then I write down, this is, this is the leading that we need to do. Now, is this because I'm super spiritual and have this direct access to God and know what He wants? Yeah, I mean, of course. But no, actually, <laughs> no, I don't know. If I knew... I would know. (laughs) How's that for a deep statement? I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your life. If someone's not at church for two, three, four weeks, I don't know what's going on. So I'll contact them. Hey, you're heavy on the heart. Just just thought I should drop you a call and see how things are going. Now, sometimes it's really great. And you have this really great conversation of, of someone saying, boy, I'm so glad you called, Pastor. I've really been struggling with this as of late. And next thing you know, it's like, ah, Lord. Yes, this is why you wanted me to contact him. Or you'll drop them that card and you'll see him at church next Sunday and they'll be like, you know what, I really appreciate you dropping that card because, you know what, I was really having a tough time and I needed that pick-me-up. Does that happen every time? No. Sometimes someone's heavy on the heart and I'll call them. I'll be like, hey, this is Pastor James. You were heavy on the heart. I thought I'd drop you a call and see how things are going. How you doing? Fine. Oh, okay, well, just you were heavy on the heart. Just thought I would see how things are going, just keeping you in prayer. Everything going okay? Yep. Crickets start chirping. Okay, well, uh, well, it's good chatting with you, man, and we'll uh, maybe we'll catch you soon, okay? Okay. Look at the phone, 31 seconds. That was a great call. You know, that's... And and you get done with a call like that, and you think, gosh, I'm such an idiot. They're already going through the phone book now, going, maybe I'll be a Methodist. I don't know, you know, something like that. Um, And so what happens is, it it doesn't go the way you think it's going to go, and so what happens is, now, not every time, sometimes in a couple weeks later, I'll talk to their spouse, and like, boy, he really appreciated you calling. He did? I I sure didn't get that out of that. (laughs) but you just are obedient to where the Lord goes. And, I, and I've reached a point now, and I'm not perfect at this, because there's sometimes I still ask why. If the Lord lays somebody on my heart, I, I, don't ask, I don't ask why. The Lord says get a hold of them, I get a hold of them. You know what? You, I'm used to cold calling people. Hey, because there's a bigger situation going on. The God of the universe led me to call you. I don't care how awkward it is. It's more awkward to be awkward with God than it is to be awkward with you. So I will call you, and I'll say, hey, how's it going? Misha? you, take care, whatever. And we'll see where the Lord goes with it. Because there is that leading of the Spirit where God says, do it, I need to do it. And, I, and I, over the years now, after walking with the Lord for 18 years, I know in my heart when something needs to be taken care of. I do know. Not because I'm perfect, I'm going to make this clear, I'm not trying to sound super spiritual, but the Lord says, go, you need to go. And we know that. Now, why does he do that? Well, let's study this out a little bit more. Go to John 16, please. Chapters 14, 15, and 16 in the book of John are some of the great overall teachings on who the Holy Spirit is and what his ministry is. John 16, please. Jesus said in John 10, verse 27, my sheep know me, my sheep hear my voice. As believers, the longer we walk with the Lord, the more we know his voice. I have never heard the audible voice of God, but I know in my heart and spirit when I need to do something and we need to be obedient to that. What does he want us to do? Each situation is unique and different, but let's look at some of these passages here. John 16, verse 13. However, when he The Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Right there it is. The Spirit guides us and tells us things to come. I feel led to do this. Why? Because the Spirit's guiding me. See, now the problem is, depending on on your denominational background and how you were raised, that's either like, amen, or like, okay, that's really kind of funky. Now, how I was raised in the church I came out of, when someone said, hey, the Holy Spirit's leading me, it's like, okay, you just let the Spirit lead you. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. But this is what He does. The Holy Spirit guides you. He leads you. He tells you things to come. He lets us know what we need to do. I don't know what my week's going to be. I mean, I know i got some appointments this coming week. I know what's going on. But until I sit down and go through that directory, I don't know for sure what the Lord wants. He knows. This is His flock. This is His sheep. He knows what's going on. So therefore, Lord, You let us know who we need to minister to. You guide us. You lead us. You do that. Look here and stay in John. Let's jump back a couple chapters to John 14, verse 26. John 14, verse 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So he guides me, he leads me, but then in verse 26 of John 14, he also teaches me what I'm supposed to do because this is what happens. Lord, I feel led to contact this person. I don't know why, but I do. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I don't have to worry about that. If He guides me, He'll also provide. If He's leading me, He'll also give me the words. I don't have to worry about it. What's my responsibility with this? Well, I have a responsibility to be spiritually prepared. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things I said to you. That's why you come to church and listen to teaching. That's why you have that daily walk with the Lord of being in the Word because you're reading and guiding and teaching, saying, Lord, you will use these passages later on because I trust you. How many times have you ever sat down and read the Bible and thought, I got nothing out of that? Nothing. If you go with an open heart, this gets stored in your memory banks in verse 26, and when the time is right, God will bring that back to your remembrance. You'll say, yeah, yeah, I read that a couple weeks ago. Or you know what? You may come and hear a teaching, and you may say, okay, I didn't get a whole lot out of that teaching. It's not that it was bad or anything, but just pretty straightforward stuff. Next thing you know, a few days later, you're talking to someone and boom, you're repeating a point from that teaching. The Holy Spirit brought that to your remembrance. I have people come up to me all the time saying, Pastor, I'm horrible at memorizing scripture. Horrible. I say, don't worry about it. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit will bring it to your remembrance. You just be faithful to to your time and effort of getting into it. God will take care of the rest. Some people are blessed with that brain that they can just quote scripture left and right. But for the rest of us, when it comes to the time and place where you need it, the Holy Spirit will bring it to your remembrance. And you'll be quoting scripture left and right like, I didn't know I could do that. You can't. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing that for you. So as he leads us, he guides us, he brings things to our remembrance, he does the teaching, he does all of it. So when we use that words like, hey, you're heavy on the heart, I had a burden on checking my spirit, that's God saying, one of your brothers and sisters in the Lord is hurting or here's a problem and I need you to go contact them because I, I shouldn't say I need you. I want you to go contact them to be a minister to them. So you go, you obey. Now, for some of you out there, you're willing to do that on one condition. Just tell me why first. Oh, it doesn't work that way. great example of that is Philip in the book of Acts. Philip had this absolutely amazing ministry going on, amazing ministry. And what happened in the middle of his ministry, God led him by the Spirit to go out to the wilderness to talk to one guy. Philip left his little growing megachurch, and he went out to the wilderness to talk to one guy. And he didn't know why. Why did he do it? Because the Spirit led him. That's obedience. See, Lord, I'm willing. You just tell me why. No, just be willing. And sometimes you don't know the why. You don't. There's been times I've contacted people. I've wrote them a card, I've whatever. Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing out of this. I haven't seen the fruit out of it. I just trust that, that contact meant something, and I'm just going to be obedient, Lord. So he guides, he leads, he empowers. So the Holy Spirit dwells in us. It's a sign of our salvation. It's life. The Holy Spirit also is, gives us power. The Holy Spirit leads us. Brings it all together. Now the one thing about the Holy Spirit leading is two little sub points I should say is if the Holy Spirit leading us, he's doing this in a couple different ways. First off, here stay in John, look at verse twenty six. We said the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. So the first point there is if the Holy Spirit is leading you, he's gonna line up with God's word. If he is leading you and it doesn't line up with God's word, there's a major breakdown in the system. I've had people come up to me being felt quote unquote led by God to do something, but it's not lined up with scripture. And I've said, that's not of God. They've gotten angry. How do you know that's of God? Who are you to say it's not of God? Because it doesn't line up with God's word. God is not going to lead you to do something that does not line up with his scripture. So when I hear reports in the world about violence with Christians and all this other type of stuff doing ungodly things, that really breaks my heart. Because people are doing things in the name of God that do not line up with scripture in any way whatsoever. The other thing about this is stay in John and look at verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 16. Jump ahead, if you will, to verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, which means the Holy Spirit will only lead us to do things that's in line with the nature of Christ. So therefore, if you're, not led, if you're led by God, it has to line up with the Word and it has to line up with the nature of Jesus. If it does not line up with God's Word and does not line up with the nature of Jesus, it's probably not a God. Now, I've seen people try to twist this. I probably have tried to twist this. I'm really angry and I'm upset about something. And my flesh is boiling. I want to say something. I want to do something. Well, the Bible says I can't let my temper get the best of me or whatever. So I find this verse about being honest with our brethren and speaking the truth in love. And I said, there, there's my green light. God doesn't want that sin to continue in their life. So I have the green light to go tell them now. And I want to go tell them in anger and frustration and bitterness. Wait a second. That doesn't line up the nature of Jesus. Because Jesus is not going to go yell and scream at somebody. Jesus is not going to go use type of words that he shouldn't be using. That's why it's a package deal. It lines up with Scripture and it lines up with the nature of Jesus. That's how you know you're spirit-led. What happens if it doesn't line up with those? Turn if you will to the book of James. Getting ready here to make our final points here. Turn if you will to the book of James because James shows us what happens if it's not lined up with the Spirit. James chapter 3, please. James chapter 3. James 3, and let's go with uh, verse... 13 says who is wise and understanding among you let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom Okay, you want to show that you're a wise person your conduct will show us that you're walking in wisdom verse 14 But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth If you're full of bitterness and anger and self-seeking, that's not of God. That's not verse 15 This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly sensual demonic for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. If your conversations and your arguments are full of bitter and self-seeking and confusion and envy, that is not of God. That is the flesh. Have you ever been in an argument with somebody and it started out as just a disagreement and then it reached to the point of the flesh is boiling where I just have to win this to win this? I just have to win this to prove my point. I don't care about what's right or wrong anymore, but I just need to be the more intimidating, loud person here to be the powerful force. That's not of God. That's not of God in any way. That is exactly what these verses are talking about, verses 13 through 16, As it's envy, it's self-seeking, etc. And I've had that. I've started out in the Spirit. Love, patience, peace, kindness. Then as the conversation goes, jump from the Spirit to the flesh. All of a sudden, I'm no longer led by the nature of Jesus. I'm no longer led by God's word. I'm no longer led by the Spirit. It's my flesh. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do verse 17. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Wisdom from God says I can be right and not worry about winning the fight. That's why I'm willing to be gentle, peaceable, willing to yield, and good fruits. That's from God. That's Spirit-led. That's the nature of Jesus. What happens when I'm in the flesh? Verse one of chapter four, actually verse 18 first. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Simple question: Are you sowing seeds of peace or not? Verse one of chapter four. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Where does the fights come? They come from our flesh. We're not being spirit led. We're not trying to uh, be an example. Of the nature of Jesus. We're being in the flesh. That's not of God. That is not letting the Spirit guide and lead us in what we're supposed to do. When we're led by the Spirit, it lines up with Scripture. It lines up with the nature of Jesus. There's no question about that. Jump back to Romans 8 now. Let's finish this up. God dwells in us, Emmanuel. The Spirit is a sign of salvation. The Spirit is life. The Spirit gives us power. The Spirit leads us. Which takes us to our last one here, verse 15. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now that one I like. The Spirit shows us that I've been adopted into God's family. I'm part of God's family, part of child of God. That, That word there, Abba, in the Aramaic, it can actually be translated father, but even more intimately, possibly even daddy or papa. And it carries this idea of God is your father, Not just your father. He's your daddy. That's why you can go crawl up on his knee anytime you want. That's why you can go hide underneath the desk. It's your daddy. Now, here's the problem. Some of us don't look at God as our daddy. We accept the idea that he's our father. That's my father. I'm his son. We love each other. This idea of daddy carries this concern, I should say, or carries this idea of... um, Whatever I'm facing, I just want to take it to my father because I love him so much and he loves me. There's this openness. It goes back to that passage in Hebrews that we said at the beginning, Hebrews 4, 16. I can boldly go to the throne of grace as that's my daddy. So the next time, once again, not to be repetitious, you're having a rough time in life, go to your daddy. That's what he's there for. And when you really start to understand this relationship with God, the father, as this closeness, as this Abba, as this Papa, oh my goodness, the comfort of God is there. The comfort of God is there. It keeps going back to that... Symbolism. I mean, my kids are still young that when they get hurt, they look up and they just look for dad. They just want to be comforted. Are they really hurt? Not as bad as they think. As soon as you grab them, they're okay. Same thing spiritually. We think it's the end of the world. Is it really the end of the world? Dying without Jesus and going to hell is the end of the world. Everything other than that, God gets us through. And so when we have this relationship with our daddy, our father, wow, we really understand what it means to be brought into the family of God. When you get saved, God dwells in you in the form of the Holy Spirit. He gives you life. He gives you power. He leads you. He guides you. He's a sign of salvation. He seals you. He protects you. He watches out for you. But now you're in. You're part of the family. God is your father. Jesus is your brother. The Holy Spirit is your helper. Jesus is your groom to be. You're, uh, you're married to Him spiritually. What an amazing thing that is when you really look at the role of the Holy Spirit. What that really means. What an absolute blessing that is. And I hope that's something that brings you comfort. I hope that's something that also brings you conviction when you want to go down the path you shouldn't go down. Emmanuel. God is with you. God is in you. Take advantage of that in your prayer life, and your daily walk with the Lord. Wherever you go, God is with you, and he will help you through whatever you're struggling facing as long as you want to go. Marv, right, I'm going to come forward here for the final song.